Hi, WorkWell listeners. I'm really excited to share that my book, Work Better Together, is officially out. Conversations with WorkWell guests and feedback from listeners like you inspired this book. It's all about how to create a more human-centered workplace. And as we return to the office for many of us, this book can help you move forward into post-pandemic life with strategies and tools to strengthen your relationships and focus on your well-being. It's available now from your favorite book retailer. Many of us probably don't think of work as a happy place, but we should, because when we're happier at work, we're more engaged, more productive, more innovative, and more creative. And everyone benefits from a happier workplace culture, not just the workforce, but also the organization and society as a whole. This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. I'm here with Jen Lim. She's the CEO and co-founder of Delivering Happiness, a coaching and consulting company that's helped hundreds of organizations use the science of happiness to co-create adaptable organizations that grow people, profits, and purpose, not just to survive, but to thrive. Jen's also the author of the newly released and best-selling book, Beyond Happiness, How Authentic Leaders Prioritize Purpose and People for Growth and Impact. Jen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, never too many Jens in the room. so <laughs> Never. <laughs> but you're two ends and I'm one in. So at least yes. we differentiate that way, right? That's right. We're our own <laughs> I, individual I, people. <laughs> yeah, I had a, a good childhood friend also named Jen, and they called us Gen 1 and Gen 2. So we always fought over who was number one and wh- who was number two. <laughs> <laughs> so so anyway, Jen with two ends. Tell, yes. us, tell us about your story. I want to know who you are. Tell us about your journey. Like, we want to get to know you oh wow I guess um I mean I, I guess I'll just start back from like the, the graduating and being a dot-com baby <laughs> back in the day uh so you know dot-com days were crazy money title status was huge and it, it really flowed really easily especially for someone that had an Asian American studies major and so um yeah luckily I was able to swing a job but as we all know uh the dot-com busted and I got spit out <laughs> I lost my job got laid off and then all the same year uh 9-11 and and my dad um we all found out that he had stage three colon cancer wow. and that hit me uh, pretty hard for all those different reasons that we you know, can you can imagine, but it really rearranged my my life and my priorities and the realization that I was chasing this you know ridiculous stuff of money title status when things are just so much more important in life. So um, at that point, I just decided to switch gears and actually focus on what's most important. And, and I realized. Without saying it, you know, those were my values. And without saying it, I was trying to figure out what my purpose was. Um, so at that point, I just knew that I had to um, switch gears into doing things that I had more sense control. I didn't want to get laid off again. <laughs> I just started becoming a consultant um, at a big firm. And, and yeah, so I was just doing my own thing. When I met Tony Shea uh, through a mutual friend, and that's when he just became CEO of Zappos. 
And yeah, we just connected really well. And as Zappos grew, I, I kind of grew with them and doing just random projects at the beginning, strategy, marketing, et cetera. But as their um, you know, culture wasn't a word back then, <laughs> a buzzword yet, uh, yeah. as they started developing more programs on that using you know, scientific happiness and positive psychology, that was to me like pretty revelatory of like, whoa, I don't have to be an existentialist all my life. I can actually <laughs> apply things that people have learned already and data and research on these topics that really felt near and dear to me. And being able to do that in, you know, a company setting, like uh, experimentation wise and in, in like a Petri dish was like super exciting and interesting. And, you know, I did that for several years uh, when the book deal for delivering happiness uh, came about in 2010. And that's when Tony and I launched that book. And then lo and behold, <laughs> we didn't know there was going to be a company coming out of it. Um, but there was a demand for that, especially in the workplace. Um, you know, a lot of things that you talk about in your book, and that was just, it was just a huge, I guess for me, awakening of people saying, oh, well, that's all good for Zappos, but you know, can't happen in my place, my workplace. And I was just like, no, I want to prove you wrong. <laughs> like it can, <laughs> it has to be able to. Uh, so here we are. Yeah. Fast forward 11 years later, uh, still running Delivering Happiness and, um, yeah, still feeling very optimistic about even though we have so much stuff going around us um, to bring us down, but there's so much optimism as to what we can do for ourselves in the workplace and in our lives. Yeah, and I mean, I, I hate using the word pivotal, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I do feel like we're kind of at this pivotal moment where, you know, everybody, because of the pandemic and what we've been living through, is taking a little bit of a a restock of, of their lives and their values. But I, mm -hmm. let's talk about the workplace. And so, I mean, I think even pre-pandemic, you know, workplaces are often associated with being unhappy or stress. How have we gotten to this place of like work is synonymous with being burned out? Because um, mm -hmm. I feel like that's so much of what we're hearing and saying and, and, and truly what so many people are feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, that just the, the interesting part of it, the, this pivot that we're all going through <laughs> is that we all kind of knew the associations with, you know, workplaces being that way, that yeah. it was just so hard to try and uh, reframe those associations, um, especially, you know, before the pandemic, but then with the pandemic to try and make the most of a, you know, really unfortunate, tragic situation for so many people in the world, especially within their, their work realm, I think that whole catalyst of, you know, we've been hearing future of work for so long yeah. and the future of work is like basically right now. <laughs> um, and like you, you're seeing it, we're all seeing it, the great resignation, the great awakening, whatever you want to call the great XYZ. Yeah. Um, I think it's just uh, such a prime moment Uh to not even just apply it to workplaces, but to really dig deep into our own lives and how they're so intertwined of how we spend our time, basically. Yeah. So let's talk about kind of the word happy. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the word, you know, happy or happiness, in especially in the workplace, because I think the word happy can mean a lot of things. So when you talk about creating happier workplace cultures, and you do the work that you do with organizations, like what does that actually mean and what does that look like? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and the word happiness, especially after 2020 and after, or well, during 2020 yeah. and after COVID hit, people wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. You know, like there's just like, what are you talking about? There's no way we could talk about happiness right now. And I, and I totally resonated with that. And it was a large reason why I named my book Beyond Happiness, because it's kind of like, let's get rid of those perceptions of what mm. happiness means. And for us, we've always based it on the science of. And this goes all the way back to, you know, philosophical times of Socrates and Aristotle hanging out, talking about what's the meaning of life, you know, like, um, and Aristotle is famously known to say, well, happiness is the purpose of our existence. But more importantly, what he said was that happiness is dependent on ourselves. So if I define happiness now, I still base it on the science, but I think everyone has their own redefining of happiness uh, I don't know if you've noticed this too. Some people are coming to me and saying, whether they're CEO or frontliner, they're saying, I don't even, I'm not even sure what happiness means anymore. Yeah. But if I ground it, number one is being true to yourself, um, having that sense of inherent disposition of who we are as, as individuals. The second type of happiness is also pleasures, you know, <laughs> that we all need a glass of wine, Netflix binge. Those are all part of who we are and, and um, part of like how we derive a sense of happiness, but they're very fleeting. And the most sustainable form of happiness that we know time and time again is purpose. Mm. And we hear that word so much now. <laughs> and, <Wow>. and, <laughs> and that in itself, I think needs a defining too but essentially you know what are we doing that's bigger than ourselves as companies what are we doing that's greater than making more money and that's where i ground the definition of happiness and that's the kind of conversations we start you know when we work with companies and so how does that translate i guess you look at kind of individual happiness or purpose and then how that kind of translates into the work, the workplace or the organizational purpose? Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? More or less, um, because um, we pretty much try to plug in wherever, you know, the, the, the organization or the team, the current state, you know, like some are really evolved because they already have their purpose statement and, you know, they, they're, they're big on culture, they're big on people. And some are on the other end of the spectrum where they're just like really wanting to understand what that all even means on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think the biggest thing that we've learned, especially in the last few years is that Nowadays, it's not unusual. I mean, you know, to have companies with purpose and values and mission right. statements, like it's, it's, it's a given, right? But now we've seen the more successful companies that implement all of this stuff yeah. is that when they're really actually sincere, mm -hmm. uh, when leaders are actually sincere about realizing they're not just checking off a box of things to do in prioritizing what culture is and prioritizing what it means for, you know, to, to um, actually treat your people better. Um, it it really comes down to when there's a leader that realizes it's not a box to check off because they had some time or moments in their life where they reflected on their own life and what they're actually doing and why they're in this position. Then they realize that that purpose statement that they developed so you know so uh, committed to and 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 tried to evolve because they want to be known for something bigger than making money until they connect it to every single person's individual purpose in a sincere and genuous way, then there's a gap. And I think that's what we've seen 
most effective, especially since the pandemic, of those leaders that really take time to actually help you know, be the archaeologist or be the architect of what individuals' purposes are, and then helping that um, to help define how you actually uh, ladder that up and connect it in a more meaningful way to the purpose of the company. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, that really resonates with me and certainly something that, um, you know, we're seeing a lot of and a lot of conversations that I have, um, you know, in particular about purpose, because I think that, and I know that this was true for me, um, you know, when, when I started to do the work to, to think about and discover my own personal purpose, it's like we, 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 we tend to believe that purpose has to be, I mean, it, it does need to be something that's bigger than us, but it, you know, it doesn't actually have to change the world. Right. <laughs> and I mean, I struggled with defining personal purpose. Cause I was like, wow, you know, like I, I don't have skills to change the world or to do something that big and meaningful. And, you know, and so I think like in coaching people to help them discover their personal purpose, like what would you say to somebody? What does that look like? Mm. Well, it's actually kind of, uh, it is tied to what you just said, because um, sometimes people think it's so daunting, you know, like, Like, why would does everyone else have a purpose but me? Like, what's wrong with me? And and the thing I think number one is to remind everyone that it shouldn't be that daunting. Is at the end of the day, it, the purpose, our purpose, evolves as we evolve. It evolves as the the, you know, the world around us evolves, and we adapt to it in our own ways. So I, I think that would be the biggest reminder. Number one, before going into sort of any purpose exercise, or even if you're just revisiting your purpose, which I think is like a perfect time to do that. But um, how I would break it down is just, I would just put draft answers to these questions of number one, what lights you up, which is like basically kind of an energy question. And it doesn't have to be what lights you up in a positive way. It could be a negative thing too. So answering that question first, and then looking at your talents, naturally what you bring to the world, but also being self-aware enough to to see what people are asking you to do naturally without even, you know, putting it out there that, Hey, I'm so talented in X, Y, and Z, but people see something in you that perhaps you might not. And then the third one is basically, um, impact. And again, it doesn't have to be this, I'm going to change the world impact. It's just like in your immediate sphere, you know, at work, in your life, what kind of impact would you like to make? And do you think you can make? And by answering those three questions, that makes it a lot less daunting as to like my purpose statement for the rest of my life, because it really <laughs> makes it more immediate, you know, yeah. like to the time and place that we're living in right now. I love that. I think that's super helpful to people. So, so let's kind of step back to like leaders and company cultures. And so if you have a, you know, a, if you're a leader or you work with a leader um, that, you know, is kind of on the, you know, on the fence about, um, you know, agreeing or investing in, you know, making their company culture happier. What do you tell them? Like, what are the benefits to doing this? Yeah. So I kind of break it down into stats and stories and, for the biggest, like, I actually love working with naysayers because <laughs> when you might too, by the way you're laughing, because when they see the light, 
it's like they're owning it for themselves. They're like, oh, that's why. And so I start with the stats first because, you know, there's a lot of no offense to, you know, people that care about finances. We all need to. (laughs) CFOs in the world exist for a reason. But starting with the stats of knowing that, you know, like fortunes, top 100 companies to work for, basically those companies that double down on their people, they outperform the S&P 500 consistently. They've done that for the last 15 years, even in bad economies. Uh, What we're seeing also now is this uh, greater uptake of venture capitalists and uh, private equity firms uh, that are putting money where their mouth is and showing how the companies that uh, that they group together that actually focus on people and therefore trying to make them happy are outperforming other uh, companies in their portfolio. So I start there and I, and I go, you know, can rattle off all these metrics and statistics on retention and attraction and, you know, burnout, especially right now, being able to help all those different factors, the great resignation, you know, all those different factors, if we actually treat, our people as an investment and an asset versus an expense. So kind of start there um, just to get the, you know, the financiers like tuned in. And then I go to the stories and the stories it's uh, I think, especially for the naysayers is basically having a story self-reflecting within them, basically holding a mirror. And like you mentioned coaching earlier, so I'm sure you're super familiar with this. It's like, basically, you know, we come in, we're just holding a mirror. We're not actually telling them anything that they don't know already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really from within. Um, but it's so oh, fascinating to me when you just ask those simple questions, like the the why, you know, why did you all start this in the beginning, in the first place of, of your of your own professional career, of your own life, and ask them to start reflecting on their moments of pivotal, (laughs) excuse me, pivotal, I'm going to use it again, (laughs) pivotal moments of their life and not just the highs because we also, or, or oftentimes associate happiness with our high moments, but also their lows. And this has been a, a big kind of key for us in, in, in when we talk about happiness, because our full belief is that it's not just learning from our highs, but also really digging deep and sitting with, if not befriending our lows. Mm. And, and it's a large part of why I wanted to go beyond happiness, because sometimes we forget that. And especially what happened in the last two years, it's been happening to everyone and being able to embrace you know our losses embrace our grief embrace our um our failures along the way and by doing these exercises with leaders there like it, it becomes an uh, an easier evolution to towards that sort of aha reawakening moment of oh wow yeah this isn't me just trying to lead my people this is about me being honest with myself and how I show up in the world and what it is that I bring that no one else can. So, so I guess, I mean, as, as a leader or really just as a human being, but you know, in, in the workplace, obviously we, we have to do the work for ourselves first, mm-hmm. <laughs> but how can we as leaders or as colleagues, like what, what can we do um, you know, maybe kind of like immediately or in the short term, um, like what are some tips or strategies that, to help us 
create a happier work culture? And I would say in particular, like what are there, are there differences that you're seeing or recommending Mm -hmm. kind of like in virtual and hybrid versus things that you might've recommended, you know, when, when people and teams were kind of co-located together, I feel like that's the big, that's the big Mm -hmm. question for everything right now. Like, how does this work in a hybrid world? (laughs) (laughs) For sure. I I mean, there's, I I feel like there's like a two-parter there. Um, And so for the, in terms of uh, the first question, like what are some practical next steps that people can do? And knowing that, like as we talked about earlier, like the, like having a sense or having a purpose defined and having values defined for a company are our defaults, you know, those are given. So yeah. I think the most practical next step, especially because so much, uh, so many of us are remote or hybrid is doing those exercises for everyone. Yeah. And by getting it out there, it's especially now when I think, you know, isolation is high, loneliness is high, depression is high, that having those conversations, I mean, it's pretty amazing what people are more willing to share and more vulnerable in sharing. And especially, of course, if we as leaders, you know, take the first step in doing that, then there's a sense of psychological safety. And we, you know, there's tons of stats on how by creating that psychological safety and not saying, hey, we're going to be a happier team now. We're going to be a happier company. It's like, no, let's be real. (laughs) You know, like toxic positivity, right? (laughs) Yes. Like let's be up the realists, you know, like, and it's so incredible to see just starting at, you know, if you have a huge company, just starting at a team level. Yeah. And just seeing the interactions deepen, uh, the conversations deepen beyond just, you know, what we're binging on Netflix is important. <laughs> what what we're happy hour drink is going to be is important. But um, the richness of conversation and the, the, the level of how many, how people just more instinctively are there for each other and basically showing up as human beings, not coworkers, even beyond, you know, behind screens as we all are most of these, most of these days. So I think that would be, the next like practical step in and in, in showing us a, a level of commitment and knowing that it's not going to fix everything and not going to fix burnout hundred percent, but knowing that creating these social bonds is what the world is really looking for. So I think that would be, um, yeah, I think, I think you'd be able to see really cool results from that in itself, knowing there's a lot of uh, uncertainty still on um, the other side of that uh, with the hybrid model or the remote model, I think we need to remind ourselves that there's been companies out there that have been doing that fully remote way before COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's kind of, let's learn from them. I mean, DH is his own, we've been doing is uh, we've never had, uh, we've been remote since 2010, WordPress. They've always been remote, always had um, sort of sense, a, a sense of rigor to what that means because it, you know, everyone starts thinking and now that we've all lived this work life integration for so long that that something's going to break, you know, that there's going to be a time that people are just going to not stop working again because, or not be so productive or not be so engaged. And that's just not the reality of it. If we do it, you know, intentionally, we build the structures with that intention of having, um, you know, the people side of it, of rewarding and recognizing based on values, based on our performance, not just the skill side, but what we contribute 
to others, what we contribute to our purpose, um, what we contribute to our culture, then you get a blend of both worlds. So that's where I think hybrid or remote, no matter how long it lasts, which is going to just increase for, you know, as we know, future works is now, um, we just embed little things along the way. Like instead of starting a meeting with just diving in the agenda, take five minutes mm. to ask a question about one of our values. You know, who was your favorite like person this week that or you know, that did something that spotlighted this value? Or like what, you know, what was one meaningful thing that happened to you yesterday? And just you know, throw it in the, the chat or throw it in a Google Doc. And it totally democratizes everything. Like even the introverts have something to say, right? Because <laughs> yeah. they, they oftentimes <laughs> have the most interesting things to say. But I, I think if we can reframe it and make, you know, technology our friend, then uh, it, it's actually a prime time for us to be able to even be more engaged and, and connected to each other. I love that. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, so, you know, do you, and you don't have to name names here, but do you have like a favorite example or two of companies that you have worked with personally that were able to turn their company cultures around? Um, and, and what kind of, what are those stories? Cause I think people, uh, you know, like you said at the beginning, people are often tend to say, oh, no, that that wouldn't happen at my company or that couldn't happen at my company. Like, do you have a favorite story of like even maybe a, a, a company or a client you worked with that maybe you even had doubts about and but then mm. then it was completely turned around? Yeah, I do. There's so many. <laughs> like, which That's one? good. You're making an impact. I like to hear that. <laughs> it's so hard to pick one, you know. Um and it's hard not to name them because they're because like, <laughs> they're usually proud of what they do. But I guess one that comes to mind is the so there's actually so it's a construction real estate company out in the Middle East, well Egypt specifically, and they came to us saying, you know, we want to. Um, they thought it was all about, you know, customers and um, like, what's this culture thing? We want to put it in our company. And it was more of that kind of notion of checking it off the box of things to do. It's not that they were, you know, weren't sincere about it. They just weren't really uh, understanding what it really means. But once mm -hmm. we started diving deeper into it, this company took it to heart. They're like, oh wow, this is this is not just for our customers. This is for us. And and going through these exercises and and making it um, accessible to all. So it wasn't like the senior leadership meeting that did this offsite, came back with values, etc. They included everyone in the company, created their higher purpose, created their values, went as far, and this is a huge one to create behaviors out of them, so mm. that they're specific, black and white. Like you don't go down the path of Enron where their number one value is integrity, you know, that kind of thing, <laughs> just to make sure everyone is on the same, you know, colloquial page and, and aligned, you know, knowing that we're all in this together. And they saw the results. I mean, they saw the revenues go up. They saw um, their levels of productivity and engagement, but they took it to the next step. And what I love about them is they realized the immediate effects for themselves and then they realized it how how it much attached to their purpose, you know. Being a construction real estate, their tagline was um, "We build happiness," and mm. so they, you know, it's it, it's something that was they 
they were, you know, they liked, you know, sounded good, but then they realized, oh, that's actually what we do. So what they did was they redesigned their whole headquarters and did it in a way that it was all about their values and all about their higher purpose so that they were, had, you know, conference rooms that were named after their values. Um, they had uh, walkways, they created walkways specifically to collaborate more uh, between different functions. Uh, they, they created things where you open the door and if it was your birthday or something, or, you know, depending who you are with your security card, they'd play your favorite song. I mean, things like that, which just, they, 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 they realized the physical space yeah. of embedding these values were so important. And then they went further than that. So they were like, you know, this is pretty cool. But they realized they had a greater purpose. So that's why they decided, you know, we're going to actually help other companies do this too. And so you see this kind of rippling effect. So they, they're now helping other companies embed purpose and values in a systemic way for results. They're also redesigning their construction projects and their developments for housing, for communities around positive psychology, around the sense of connectedness and, and um, being able to uh, have a sense of development and progress through learning and pro uh, education programs. So it really blew my mind because they're like, you know, they reflected like, wow, this, this did so much for us. We want to do it for our teams, our customers, and our community at large. And that's how they grew from just that one project. I love that. And it sounds like I want to like find out who this company is and go buy one of their homes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or at least rent it and live in it for a little while. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, Egypt's a pretty beautiful place. Just hanging up by the pyramids yeah. is not bad. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, let's talk a little bit about your book. You've mentioned it a few times, but I want to, I want to dig into why beyond happiness. Can you talk about, you know, how you arrived at that, what it mm. means? And you've, you've talked about this a little bit already, but I want to dig deeper into wh why you went to beyond and kind of what 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 all is that about and what and what will we learn from your book <laughs> yeah uh, I mean I we talked a little bit about this before we started this you know this podcast because we both were writing uh, during the pandemic yeah. <laughs> and I don't know if it was this case for you and I, I, I'm curious to hear but every time something hit, the headlines in the media, I was just like, what the hell? Like there's, <laughs> I can't, I can't write the book I was supposed to write. Like the outline that the publisher, you know, accepted and it was just not enough for me. And so, you know, with COVID and then um, the, the recession and then social unrest. And then ultimately yeah. for me, uh, and everyone had this in some form or another, but one of my lowest lows was losing my business partner and one of my best friends, uh, Tony, mm. at the end of 2020. Yeah, And so that's where, that's what brought me to the beyond part. Because when I first started, it, it was like, oh, I'm just going to capture all these stories, you know, stats and stories about all these companies and governments and hospital systems that are doing this amazing work so people can realize they can do it too. And that was not enough anymore, um, especially seeing how many people were, you know, what they were going through right. and, you know, going and suffering in, in many ways. And I don't, I don't use that term lightly. So that's where I took the book to get 
real, you know, about that matter, subject matter of, you know, everyone has their own perception of happiness. And there's a lot of greatness and positivity to be discussed around that. But until we actually are able to embrace the lows and our shadows uh, within ourselves, and therefore us as, as leaders, and therefore our teams and companies, then we can only go so far. Mm-hmm. The whole cliche of you don't really know your highs until you know your lows yeah. is is actually true. But mm-hmm. to actually experience and, and be able to, as you said earlier, do the work yeah. within ourselves, then we really don't get to experience that full gamut of what that really means. So that's why I wanted to bring that to, to light, to the table of what really is happiness and what's beyond it and how companies now and organizations and teams can actually integrate in, and embed that in a way that makes people feel like it's not just a happiness we're talking about anymore. It's just about being human beings right. to one another. Yeah, I think that, I, I think you, I think you ended up with the right book, <laughs> right? <laughs> Funny how we, how we go down that path. I think in, in many ways, our, our paths are similar because, you know, there's a, there's a lot in our book about um, the impact that technology has had on our ability to develop and sustain meaningful relationships in the workplace. And we mm. were writing it at a time when really the only thing keeping us connected to our colleagues and many of our loved ones was our technology. And so we kind of had to step back and say, okay, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how do we actually use uh, technology to augment those relationships or what makes us human, but not replace it? And so I think yeah. certainly we had a, perhaps a, a similar rethinking of like, okay, what do we want to, what do we really want to say here? And how has what we're going through, um, you know, changed or, or enhanced our perspective a little bit? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love, I mean, I love what you did too. I mean, it's yeah. beautiful how you were able to capture that and who knew, you know, like technology being <laughs> our ally in all of yeah. that. So, yep. so, and you know, it's not going away. So we do need to, we do need to figure out how to, to use it better to make us better humans or, you know, bring forward our humanity. And I have a lot of hope. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. So yeah, totally. Well, Jen, is there any final words of wisdom? This has been great. I love the fact that there's been some practical tips and takeaways. I like to have that throughout the show, but any last pieces of wisdom you want to leave the listeners with? Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) I guess part of it is just the whole daunting thing. It doesn't have to be. And even though these like big questions are happening around us in terms of how do we work? Where do we work? You know, what role role do we want to take? How do we reprioritize basically the minutes of our day? knowing we had a lot of time to reflect on, are we spending it the right way? Like those kind of questions, if we can just uh, reframe it in a way so that it's not so daunting. And it really is just about, you know, the simple things of what means the most and prioritizing around that. It helps these big lofty sort of legacy questions get simplified and that impacts our daily actions and behaviors. And most of all, I think it impacts the way we connect and love one another. I love that. I can, I, you know, we're ending on a perfect note. So thank you for that. And thank you for being on the show. 
Thank you so much, Jen. One and Jen, let's do this together. We've got so much goodness going on. We do. Absolutely. This is just the beginning, I think. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I'm so grateful Jen could be with us today to talk about how to make our workplaces happier. Thank you to our producers, Rivet360, and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com, or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series, or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher, or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well.